Hello, everybody. I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. I am thrilled that you found me, but more importantly, I'm thrilled that you have found Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. And as we journey together, we'll unleash discoveries of how to turn a heart of stone into one of moldable clay for the potter to transform. And I hope that you'll join me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. Periodically, friends, we'll delve into my mailbag and answer questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. All right, well, let's go ahead and get started here. You know, we often hear words like obedience, encouragement, truth, faith, love, but sometimes it's a struggle to put all of them together. And today we're going to continue on in our study on obedience. This series has been really interesting to learn what God's definition of obedience is versus mankind. But Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I would be remiss if I didn't add in that we're going to be getting a shot or a dose of encouragement as well. And first, we're going to look at two prophets who told the people what to do, but they also encouraged the people by their hands-on leadership. They jumped in and they helped the people, showing them what was expected. Next, we meet the disciple Mark, who through encouragement and obedience grew into his own shoes. And then the Apostle Paul provides us with some ideas for encouraging and edifying others. And then we'll get to peek behind the curtain with Paul's famous last words from his bedside. And finally, we'll confront what every person on the planet will come face to face with, and that is the loss of a loved one. How are we to be encouragers in this situation? Well, we're going to hear from Paul what he had to say to the Thessalonians. So friends, I am so glad that you're here joining me today. And you know, when we look at encouragement and we look at obedience, Ezra in chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 said, And the prophets of God were with them and helped them. Well, right there are two poignant items for us to take away. They offered them encouragement through their obedience. And you know, God sometimes sends prophets to encourage and strengthen his people. And to accomplish this, it was the prophet Haggai and Zechariah. They not only preached, but they also got involved directly in the labor, as I said earlier. In the church today, God appoints prophetic voices to help us with our work. Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, says their ministry should have the same effect upon us as Haggai's and Zechariah's had on Israel. One who prophesies is helping others grow in the Lord, encouraging and comforting them. And in turn, we should encourage those who bring God's word to us. And you know, Haggai and Zechariah were post-exilic prophets. God used these men to confront and comfort his people after their return to their homeland from exile in Babylon. And the year was dates back to 520 BC. But Haggai ministered to Zerubbabel and Joshua, who were the leaders of the day. 
And he continued rebuilding the temple. That was his encouragement to these leaders, which God would then bless. And again, that's an act of obedience. So additionally, Haggai challenged the people's careless worship, which God would not bless. So we see here that disobedience and careless obedience of God's commands leads to God's judgment. Zechariah prophesied to the same leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua, and his main message emphasized God's command to rebuild his temple. And additionally, he gave the people another look at God's plan to bless the world through Israel and its coming king, the future Messiah. And that had great significance because it was encouragement for today's effort sometimes requires that we remember that God has a plan and a purpose for tomorrow. So meanwhile, the challenge is to live for him today. The Jews who had returned from Babylon to return the temp- rebuild the temple in Jerusalem were not able to finish their work because they were hindered by their enemies. After opposition put a halt to progress, no further work had been done on the temple for over 15 years. It just sat stagnant. And Haggai delivered a message to encourage the people to rebuild the temple. Paul and Barnabas returned to visit the believers in all the cities where they had recently been threatened and physically attacked. And these men knew the dangers they faced, yet they believed they had a responsibility to encourage the new believers. No matter how inconvenient or uncomfortable the task may seem, we must always support new believers who need our help and our encouragement. You know, it wasn't convenient or comfortable for Jesus to go to the cross for us, but he still did it. And you know, Ephesians goes on. It's our oneness in Christ that doesn't destroy our individuality. The Holy Spirit has given each Christian special gifts for building up the church. And as you recognize your gifts and your areas of service, you can use these to strengthen and encourage the church. So first, we look back with Haggai and Zerubbabel, and we find that the temple just needed to be rebuilt. Like I said, it had sat stagnant for 15 years. So now, you know, now it gets rebuilt. And then how are, what are we going to do with that rebuilding of the temple? How are we going to worship God with it now? So the church we see has an enormous responsibility to make disciples of all nations, according to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And this involves preaching, teaching, healing, nurturing, giving, administering, building, etc. And as individuals, we couldn't fulfill this command, yet together we are stronger. And as a collective group, one body in the church, which God calls us to be members of one body, we can do all that he has called us to do. But it's a human tendency to overestimate what we can do by ourselves and to underestimate what we can do as a group. But as the body of Christ, we can accomplish more together than we would dream possible working by ourselves. So, you know, mistakes are effective teachers. Their consequences have a way of making lessons painfully clear. 
but those who learn from their mistakes are wise. Mark was a good learner who just needed some time and encouragement. Mark was eager to do the right thing, but he had trouble with staying with the task. In the gospel of Mark, he mentions a young man, and he's probably referring to himself here, who fled in such fear during Jesus's arrest that he left his clothes behind. This tendency to run showed up later when Paul and his cousin Barnabas took him as their assistant on their first missionary journey. And if you remember, Barnabas's nickname is the encourager. What their second stop Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. It was a decision Paul did not easily accept. In preparing for their second journey two years later, Barnabas again suggested Mark as a traveling companion, but Paul flatly refused. As a result, the team was divided. Barnabas took Mark with him and Paul chose Silas. Barnabas was patient with Mark and the young man repaid his investment. Paul and Mark were later reunited, and the older apostle became a close friend of the young disciple. Mark was a valuable companion to three early Christian leaders, Barnabas, the encourager, Paul, and to Peter. And you know, they say the material in Mark's gospel seems to have come mostly from Peter because Mark's role as an assistant allowed him to be an observer. He heard Peter's accounts of the years with Jesus over and over again, and he was one of the first to put Jesus's life in writing. And Barnabas played a key role in Mark's life. He stood beside the young man despite his failure, giving him patient encouragement. Mark challenges us to learn from our mistakes and appreciate the patience of others. Is there a Barnabas in your life you need to thank for his or her encouragement to you? And aren't we all glad that Jesus' word promises to never leave us nor to forsake us? You know, the command to encourage others is found throughout the Bible. The Apostle Paul gives us many specific examples of how we can encourage others. Have you ever watched or participated in a long race? Near the end of it, your legs literally ache, your throat's burning, and your whole body's crying out for you to stop. This is when friends are most valuable. Their encouragement helps us to push through the pain to the finish line. In the same way, Christians are to encourage one another. A word of encouragement offered at the right moment can be the difference between finishing well and collapsing along the way. So I challenge you, friends, look around you. Be sensitive to other people's needs. Offer encouragement and supportive words or your actions. We need to build each other up. And you know, one way of doing this is when we point out to someone that a quality within them that we appreciate or that we see within them. And we're to honor and respect our leaders that are doing the Lord's work. Look for ways to cooperate with them and think of some ways to show respect to your pastor or maybe even the elders or deacons in your church if you have them. One way is to show appreciation by telling them how you've specifically been helped by their leadership and teachings and to thank them for their ministry in your life. Remember, when we say nothing and we remain quiet, they will never know where we stand. We know, but they don't. They need encouragement as well, and they deserve our love and support now more than ever. 
And we must hold leaders in a high regard. We're to hold back critical comments about those in authority. Instead, we need to find something to say thank you for. And we need to strive to live in peace, searching for ways to get along with others. Paul urges us also to warn the lazy and encourage the timid, help the weak, and above all, be patient. God doesn't want to see his believers joining in with the world. We're not to loaf around with the lazy, and we're not to yell at the timid and the weak. We're to encourage and help them. It's not always easy to tell the difference between idleness and timidity. Two people may be doing nothing, one out of laziness and the other out of shyness or fear of doing something wrong. So the key to ministry becomes sensitivity. We need to sense the condition of each person because no two people are the same. And we need to offer the appropriate remedy for each situation. We can't effectively help until we know what the problem is. And it's the same thing as not being able to apply the medicine until we know where the wound is. We're to resist revenge. Instead of planning and plotting to get even with those who mistreat us, judge us, spread gossip, slander, and lies, we're to do good. We're to be joyful, praying continually and giving thanks. Even in the midst of turmoil, God is in ultimate control. He's always with us so we can always talk to Him. And if you have a piece of paper, I would challenge you right now, pull it out, stop this podcast, write out all of the gifts that God has given to you, all the large ones, all the small ones, and give thanks next to each one. I did that and I was amazed at what my list looked like when you take into account of just all the small details of our life that God is in. Our joy, prayers, and thankfulness should not fluctuate with our circumstances or feelings. We need to obey three commands. Be joyful, keep on praying, and be thankful. And that often goes against our natural inclination. When we make a conscious decision to do what God says, however, we'll begin to see people in a new perspective. When we do God's will, we find it easier to be joyful and thankful. And this is one way that we are obedient to God. And while it's not possible to spend all of our time on our knees, it is possible to have a prayerful attitude at all times. Now, this attitude's built upon acknowledging our dependence upon God, realizing His presence within us, and determining to obey Him fully. Then we find it natural to pray frequent, spontaneous, short prayers. And while a prayerful attitude is not a substitute for regular times of prayer spent with God, it should be an outgrowth of those times. And Paul was not teaching that we should thank God for everything that happens to us, but in everything. You know, evil does not come from God, so we should not thank Him for it, but Evil, unfortunately, strikes all of us that are God's children, and we can still give thanks to God for His presence and for the good that He will accomplish through the distress that we face. Paul tells us also not to stifle the Holy Spirit. We can follow the Holy Spirit promptings the next time that we're encouraged to participate in anything Christian, any Christian meetings, any Christian outreaches that we're participating in. 
And then Paul warns us not to ignore or toss aside the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to each one of us. It may be prophecy or speaking in tongues. And sometimes we feel like these spiritual gifts are controversial and they may cause division within the church, but rather than cause problems, some Christians prefer to smother their gifts and literally snuff them out. But this impoverishes the church. We should not stifle the Holy Spirit's work in anyone's life, but encourage the full expression of these gifts to benefit the entire body of Christ. And we're told not to scoff at prophecies. Instead, we're to receive God's word from those who speak for him. We shouldn't make fun of people who are called to speak for God, but we should always test what was said checking their words against what the Bible says. We're on dangerous ground if we scoff at someone who tells the truth. Instead, we should carefully check out what people say, accepting what is true and rejecting what is false. We're to avoid every kind of evil by avoiding situations that draw us into temptation. As Christians, we cannot avoid all kinds of evil because we live in a sinful world, but we can make sure that we don't give evil a foothold by avoiding tempting situations and concentrating on obeying God. We must make it a must to count on God's constant and consistent help. We must remember that the Christian life is to be lived not in our own strength, but through God's power. The spirit, soul, and body refer not so much to the distinct parts of a person as to the entire being of a person. This expression is Paul's way of saying that God must be involved in every aspect of our life. It's wrong to think that we can separate our spiritual life from everything else. Obeying God is only or in the only in the ethereal sense or living for him only one day each week. Christ must control all of us, not just the religious part. So the Apostle Paul goes on to offer us more than famous last words from his bedside. He would write his son or his protege a last instructional letter bearing his final thoughts from prison, which happened to be a cold Roman cell where he sat. But keep in mind as he wrote to Timothy his words of wisdom and insights on how to navigate life, he was full of joy amidst his circumstances. And we're all eager to hear final words of blessings and encouragement or any advice from notable men and women or a beloved person in our lives prior to their passing. And the Apostle Paul was one of the most influential and knowledgeable men in history. While Paul was facing a terminal diagnosis, it was not because of an illness. Let me say that again. Paul was facing a terminal diagnosis, but it wasn't caused by illness. That seems kind of odd, right? Well, he was a vibrant man. So you're probably wondering what his condition was. It was the penalty of being a convicted follower of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. One more time. He was a convicted follower of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That was his crime. Paul wanted to pass the torch of leadership on to Timothy. This was his way of reminding him of what was truly important and encouraging him in the faith. 
The areas Paul encouraged Timothy are all areas in which we too can be encouraged. These are qualities necessary for a faithful minister. Paul tells us to use our gifts with boldness and for the glory of God. Keep to the truth, the sound doctrine. Don't follow false leaders. Prepare others to follow up yourself in ministry so generation to generation will still know the truth. We need to be disciplined and ready to endure suffering. Our eyes and mind are to focus on Jesus. Paul also told Timothy to stick to that sound theological teaching at all times. Don't get into useless debates that aren't going to win people to Christ. Now, what did the Apostle Paul teach the Thessalonians about the loss of a loved one? And how do we find encouragement among the sorrow? Well, here's what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18 had to say. I can tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not rise to meet him ahead of those who are in their graves. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the call of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, all the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with Him forever. So comfort and encourage each other with these words. Knowing exactly when the dead will be raised in relation to other events at the second coming is not as important as knowing why Paul wrote these words. Why would Paul take the time to write the Thessalonians and encourage them about the loss of a loved one? Well, it's because he wanted to challenge his believers. He wanted to comfort and encourage them, but challenging one another when loved ones die. This passage can be a great comfort when any believer dies. The same love that unites believers in this life will unite believers when Christ returns and reigns for all of eternity. Because Jesus came back to life, so will all believers. That is a promise straight from Jesus. All Christians, including those living when Christ returns, will live with Christ forever. Therefore, we need not despair when loved ones die or world events take a tragic turn. God will turn our tragedies into triumphs, our poverty into riches, our pain to glory, and our defeat to victory. If you are a child of the Most High God, you are always victorious. All believers throughout history will stand locking arms, reunited in God's very presence, safe and secure. As Paul comforted the Thessalonians with the promise of the resurrection, so we should comfort and reassure each other with this great hope. And you know, friends, I do hope that this has given you confidence and encouragement and that you're going to join me tomorrow as we continue on in our study of godly obedience and just what that looks like in the kingdom of God versus worldly obedience, because there is a significant difference. And you know, 
Not everyone has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and Jesus is belief in him and his finished work at the cross is what is going to make the difference between having eternal life and not having eternal life. So friends, today, if you want to become a child of God, remember he has no grandchildren, and you want to spend eternity in heaven, not elsewhere, I invite you to pray this prayer of invitation to our Lord Jesus Christ. Just say, Lord Jesus, I repent and turn away from my sins. Come into and take up residence within my heart. I believe your blood was shed for all who believe that you took on the sin of humanity at the cross of Calvary. Amen. And friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, I believe you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you. And get into a good Bible-based church to surround yourself with like-minded believers who are going to continue encouraging you to grow in your walk with Christ. And let me be the first to congratulate you on the most important decision you've ever made. Congratulations and God bless you. One of Priest Aaron's contributions he left for us is this benediction. As you go out into the world, allow me to pray this blessing over you from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. And this prayer encompasses six blessings over your life. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen. The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. We'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, how to be joyful, and what love in action looks like, and many more. So I invite you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark on a podcast of adventure and exploration of life together. So please consider joining me. And if you like this podcast, make sure to like and subscribe so you'll get the latest episodes when they become available. And some of this podcast today was referenced from my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you found the content inspiring or interesting, you can pick up a copy of the book from my website, pampastorcopywriting.com or Amazon, Barnes and Noble or Dorrance.com. And if you're unable to afford a copy, please write to me and I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. And if you know anyone else who would be interested, share this with them too and be a blessing. And remember the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. God bless you.